0: Let's turn to the this morning. Yeah, we're not going to go to Genesis just yet. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 6 as we start this morning. Galatians chapter 6. <coughs> and we're just going to read verse 7. As we begin, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. It says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man solves that shall he also reap. He that soul to his flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soft to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let's open our time with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and heavenly Father, we thank you Lord uh, for this uh, wonderful day. We thank you Lord that we can be here, uh, that we can come and gather around your word. What we pray as we continue our study in Genesis this morning, that you would bless our time together that, Lord, you would uh, just be with us, <clears throat> give me wisdom and guidance as I speak this morning, pray it with your words, and that, Lord, it would be your thoughts and not my own, and that, Lord, you would challenge us, refresh us, and bless us through your word, and may we leave this place, singing your praises, and giving all glory, and honor unto your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This one's not working, so. All right. <clears throat> Genesis 21, now you can turn back over there become clear while we read Galatians chapter six in a minute. Genesis 21. If you remember last Sunday evening, of course, we <clears throat> we saw God's word come to pass. After all those years of waiting, God finally uh, brought to pass His word. God blessed Abraham and Sarah with a son in their old age, the son Isaac. And we saw that that blessing, of course, was accomplished by God's word. It was according to His word. It was. His immutable counsel. You know, God cannot lie. So if God says something, it must come to pass. And so God's word came to pass just as He said. It was accomplished by His power and it was accomplished in His perfect timing. And so Abraham and Sarah welcomed their son Isaac into the world. And we saw them respond with obedience and faith and with great rejoicing. And between verse 7 and verse 8, uh, some years now. Go Let's just read verse 7 again. It says, Genesis 21, we'll start in verse 6. It says, And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day, that Isaac was weaned. And so between verse seven and eight, there is some years that go by. In verse eight, we're now told that the time has arrived for Isaac to be weaned. And in ancient times this was an important event in the life of a son, this was an important day, an important milestone. And so in verse eight we see Abraham makes a great feast to celebrate this occasion, to celebrate this day. And so this was meant to be a time of great joy, it was a a happy occasion, it was a celebration. But it was all about to be overshadowed by division, resentment and bitterness that would tear the family apart. And all of this really was the sad result of Abraham's sin back in Genesis chapter 16 when he took Hagar as his wife. And so in the passage before us this morning, we see clearly the truth that sin has effects upon us long after that sin has even been dealt with. Sin brings consequences into our life. It brings pain and grief. It leaves scars. It carries consequences. You know, it is the sad reality that as Galatians 6 says, we reap what we have sown. And Abraham here is certainly reaping What he has sown as he sees the consequences of his own actions, his sin. And first of all, here this morning, we see Ishmael's ridicule. Ishmael's ridicule. Look there in verse 8. It says, And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Mocking. We see Ishmael's ridicule. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction, <clears throat> in verse 8, Isaac has now reached the age to be weaned. And as I said, according to ancient custom, this was an important milestone. It was around about the age of three. Some commentators say five, but when you look at the Jews, they most of the time this is around the age of three. And so we can assume that Abraham here weans Isaac at this age of three. And he marks the occasion as... Custom suggested with a great feast of celebration. And with Isaac, this occasion would have been even more special. Even more special because at this time, Abraham no doubt would have announced to everyone present that Isaac was his heir. That Isaac was the promised son. He was the one through whom all those covenant promises that God had given him, they were going to be fulfilled through Isaac. And So at this celebration, he's declaring this unto all those who are present that Isaac is his heir. You know, in light of this, we can begin to understand Ishmael's response in verse nine. Come, you know, we read here that he was seen to be mocking Isaac and mocking uh, the celebration, the ceremony. You know, by this time, Ishmael is not a child anymore. We need to understand that. Ishmael is a teenager around about 17 years old. In Genesis 16, verse 16, we're told that Abraham was 86 when Ishmael was born. Let's just turn back over there. Genesis 16. <clears throat> Genesis 16 and verse 16, it says, And Abraham was fourscore four, and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. So he's eighty-six. Abraham was 86 when Ishmael was born. And of course, he was 100 when Isaac was born, and so he's now about 103. And so that makes Ishmael around about 17 years old. Okay, give or take. That's his age at this time. And so as a 17-year-old, he's well aware of taking, what's taking place, isn't he? He's not just some child in the corner. He is a 17-year-old young man. He is well aware of what is taking place at this ceremony He's well aware of the the fanfare that's being made over his half brother. He's aware of what his father is declaring with this ceremony that Isaac is his heir, not Ishmael. And so he doesn't miss the significance of it all. You know, we need to put ourselves in Ishmael's shoes here for a second. You know, for 14 years, he had been Abraham's only son until Isaac came along. For 14 years, he was Abraham's only son. Son, and so in the eyes of everybody, all of the servants, everyone around, Ishmael is the heir, isn't he? Okay? And he, he would have got that respect, he would have got that honour, everyone would have looked at him and assumed that he is going to be the heir to everything that Abraham has. And so it must have been difficult for him to now hear his father publicly declaring that Isaac is his heir, not Ishmael. This must have been a hard thing for him to hear. And so we can understand his reaction coming. We can understand his reaction. Now, of course, that doesn't make it right. Just because we as human beings can put ourselves in his shoe and we can, we can be uh, upset as he would, we can understand how he came to this position. It doesn't make his attitude here any better. It doesn't make his reaction holy or right. You know, as he watches on him, he sees and hears all that's taking place. Ishmael here is filled with anger. He's filled with bitterness and, and jealousy. And that's why he ridicules. That's why he mocks his brother Isaac, as we read there in verse 9. It says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Now it's interesting, that word translated mocking there, is from the same Hebrew word as the name Isaac. Okay, and the name Isaac, of course, means laughter. And so it's from the same Hebrew word. It's talking about laughter. But this is not an innocent laughter. Okay, this is a laughter of derision. It's a bitter, sarcastic laugh. In the New Testament, Paul goes as far as to describe it as being persecution. Just turn over there, Galatians chapter 4. <clears throat> Starting verse twenty-eight, Galatians four, verse twenty-eight says, "Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he was, he that was born after the flesh, persecuted him that was born after the spirit. Even so it is now." Okay, uh, Paul here describes this this mocking as being persecution. He says Isaac was persecuted by Ishmael. Now, what exactly he did? What exactly he said on this occasion, we can't be sure, okay, it's just summed up in this little word, but one thing is clear, is that Ishmael is filled with jealousy here. And that jealousy manifests itself in bitterness, as he mocks his brother, as he mocks uh, the ceremony that's taking place. And his reaction, in turn, stirs up something inside of Sarah. And we see secondly now, Sarah's resentment. Let's turn back to Genesis 21. Genesis 21, and we'll read again verse 9. It says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore, she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. We see Sarah's resentment. You know, for Sarah, this day was meant to be a wonderful, exciting day, wasn't it? You think about it, she's 90 years old when Isaac's born, so she's now 93. This is a proud moment for her, isn't it? This is a proud moment. This is a day of great joy. You know, a, a proud mother watching on as her son is weaned and as he's welcomed by Abraham as the heir of the family. This is a proud moment, a an exciting day. You know, she's enjoying the day, she looks over and she sees Ishmael. She sees Ishmael mocking her son, mocking. The ceremony. And immediately, old feelings of bitterness, old feelings of resentment are stirred up within her. Now, if you remember in chapter 16, it was, of course, her idea, wasn't it? For Abraham to take Hagar as his second wife. Let's just turn back there to the account in chapter 16. chapter 16, let's read from verse 1. It says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai, and Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, who maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham... Sorry, Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she was had conceived, her mistress mistress was despised in her eyes. So in chapter sixteen, it was Sarah's suggestion, wasn't it? Okay, that Abraham take Hagar as his wife and go in unto her, and Hagar immediately conceives. And immediately there is contention in the family. Remember this? Immediately there was contention within the family, within the home, Hagar was puffed up with pride because she was able to give Abraham what Sarah couldn't. So she's filled with pride. and then Sarah, she's filled with bitterness and jealousy. We see that in verse five and six there in chapter 16. It says "And Sarah said unto Abram, "My wrong be upon thee, I have given my maidens thy bosom." And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai uh, dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Sarah's response there was to be filled with jealousy and bitterness and she blamed Abraham and she blamed Hagar. And she dealt harshly with Hagar to the point where Hagar had to flee that terrible home situation. Of course, the Lord found her in the desert. The Lord brought her back. The Lord restored the home. Chapter 16 ended with a restored family. They had to live together with the consequences of their actions. And So now 17 years has gone by. 17 years. And those old feelings that Sarah had towards Hagar at the beginning and her son... Those old feelings come flooding back as she sees her servant's son, Ishmael, mocking her son. And her reaction basically is, how dare he? Now the commentator Maya writes this, he says, This awoke all Sarah's slumbering jealousy, which may have been severely tested during the last few years by Ishmael's assumption and independent bearing. She would stand it no longer. Why should she the chieftain's wife and mother of his heir, broke the insolence of a slave. And that's basically how she viewed Ishmael. She viewed him as being a slave. And she says, how how dare he treat my son like this? How dare he respond like this? And so Sarah, her response is that she's filled with jealousy, she's filled with bitterness and resentment, and she pressures Abraham to cast out Hagar and Ishmael. Look in verse 10. This is wherefore she said unto Abraham cast out this bondwoman and her son for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son even with Isaac. Now these are harsh words from Sarah, aren't they? They're harsh words. Now we got to remember here that Hagar, she was Sarah's personal maid. She'd served Sarah faithfully for years. Well, that Ishmael is Abraham's son, he's Abraham's flesh and blood. Sarah here harshly insists that they be cast forth, that they be cut off, and that Ishmael not be allowed to share in the inheritance. You know, as we read verse 10, we can sense the bitterness in her voice, can't you? You read verse 10 there. She says, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. You know, you can sense the, the bitterness in her voice, can't you? The contempt the jealousy in her voice. Another commentator wrote this. He said, instead of using her position to make those under her happy, she used it for her own convenience, for the gratification of her own spite, and to make those beneath her conscious of her power by their suffering. She happened to be a mother, but instead, and instead of bringing her into sympathy with all women and their children, This concentrated her affection with fierce jealousy on her own child. It mattered not to her what came of the woman and the boy, to whom she really owed a more loving and careful regard than to any except Abraham and Isaac. You know, She had contempt, real contempt for Hagar and Ishmael, bitterness towards them. She really should have shown love and and care towards them. Next to Abraham and Isaac, they were family. She should have shown some love and care. The point is, Sarah's response here cannot be excused. We can't excuse it and say that she's, she's doing something that's okay. Her response here stems from bitterness, it stems from jealousy, that had long, long since taken root in her heart, and now it comes forth in these words to Abraham. You see, this was something that Sarah could have dealt with and should have dealt with long ago. Now, at the end of chapter 16, when the Lord restored the home, Sarah had the perfect opportunity to forgive, didn't she? She had the perfect opportunity to forgive Abraham, Hagar, to forgive and and to confess her own sin, her own lack of faith in the Lord, and to, from that point on, treat Hagar and Ishmael with love. Treat them with respect from that point on. But instead, here we see that Sarah had not truly dealt with this sin, instead she let it fester she let it grow in her hearts and this root of bitterness now breaks forth in this fruits destroying the home you know bitterness truly is the great destroyer of relationships isn't it bitterness if left unchecked it destroys families it destroys friendships it destroys churches hebrews chapter 12 speaks about the root of bitterness let's just turn over there hebrews 12 Here is 12, verse 15. It says, Look lest, diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. The root of bitterness. Now, if not dealt with, bitterness will grow, and it will produce fruit in our lives, destroying our relationships with others. That's what bitterness does when it's left unchecked. It's so important that we learn to instead show love and grace and forgiveness. The forgiveness that Christ has shown to us. See, beloved, people will offend us. That's a reality. That's a fact. People will offend. And sometimes we might be the reason they offend Sarah. was. she was the reason Hagar offended her. People will offend, but we need to learn to forgive and forget. To move forward, to respond with love, respond with kindness. Even when others mistreat us. Isn't that what Romans 12 talks about? Let's turn over there, Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 17. It says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. But rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We know the passage well. It talks about this whole idea of responding with love, responding with kindness, heaping coals of fire upon their head. You know, Sarah, she had a chance to overcome evil with good, didn't she? She had a chance to overcome evil with good, but instead she was filled with jealousy, filled with bitterness that had not been dealt with, and now she responds harshly towards Hagar and Ishmael, harshly with this request. And this request now causes Abraham great distress. That's our third point this morning. We see Abraham's remorse. Abraham's remorse. Let's turn back to Genesis 21. Excuse me. Verse 11. It says, And the thing was very grievous in in Abraham's sight because of his son. It's very grievous in his sight. Abraham's remorse, his distress. It's a sad sight to see this bitterness and this jealousy tearing this family apart. You know, Ishmael's bitterness and jealousy manifests itself in him mocking Isaac, his ridicule of his half-brother. Sarah's manifests itself with her harsh treatment of Hagar and her son. You know, the root cause of this whole problem in the family, this bitterness, this jealousy, this resentment towards each other, the whole problem was caused by Abraham's sin. We can trace the root of this problem back to chapter 16 with Abraham's original sin when he took Hagar as his wife and didn't trust in the Lord. Now, If Abraham had, listened, had not listened to Sarah on that occasion but instead he had trusted in the Lord, he acted in faith and waited for the promised son, then none of these things would have happened. you realise that? If he had not committed that sin in chapter 16 then none of these problems would be occurring. None of these problems would have ever existed. There would have been no contention. There would have been no jealousy, no bitterness within the home. But Abraham had sown to the flesh, and now he was reaping fleshly rewards. And for Abraham, this decision made some 17 years earlier, it causes him here a great amount of pain, a great amount of distress. In verse 11 it says, And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight. Because of his son. We read here that the thing was very grievous to Abraham. It causes him a great amount of pain. A great amount of heartache. This request from Sarah saddens him. And it saddens him greatly. Why? Because of Ishmael. Because of his son, as it says there in verse 11. Because of his son. Ishmael is still his son. And like any father, he loves his son. He cares for Ishmael. We've seen him in chapter 17 intercede with God for his son. He cares about Ishmael. And so this is a painful thing that Sarah is asking him to do. Commentator Gertz writes this, he says, No doubt Abraham thought that the past was dead and buried, that his mistake was forgotten. But how quickly he discovered that it was only suppressed in Sarah's memory and very much alive. When Sarah came running to Abraham, demanding that he drive out this maid and her son, he was greatly distressed, he was grief-stricken, depressed, and once again filled with remorse. Wouldn't the past ever go away? You see, Abraham was learning that sad truth. That sin carries with it lasting consequences. Sometimes the consequences are immediate, and other times they're down the track, they're down the road where the consequences come. The heartache, the pain, the distress of sin. Sin, even when it's dealt with, can still cause us pain. It can still cause us distress. Yes, God has forgiven us, and that's a wonderful truth, isn't it? When we sin, we confess our sin, and God forgives us. He restores us to fellowship with Him. But sin brings with it scars. It brings with it consequences. Consequences into our lives that by grace we're going to have to learn to deal with, aren't we? We sinned, and these are the consequences of those actions. We have to learn to deal with those sins, those consequences, sorry, as they come. Sometimes we have to learn to live with those consequences of our actions. And that's the case here for Abraham. A sin from 17 years ago is now reaping its rewards. It's coming home now. All the consequences are all coming home. And it causes him great distress. You know, the wonderful thing that we see here in chapter 21 is that Abraham responds on this occasion with maturity. He responds with maturity to the situation. You see, in chapter 16, Abraham had not responded with maturity at all. He had not responded in the right way to Sarah's jealousy and bitterness. Let's go back there, chapter 16 and verse 6, and see his response the first time round. Genesis sixteen and verse six. Verse five it says But and Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee, I have given my maiden to thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in uh, her eyes, the Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand, do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. In chapter sixteen, verse six, when Sarah comes complaining about Hagar and, and her son, okay, that which is conceived, when she comes and complains, Abraham responds in the wrong way. Abraham basically says, I don't want you to do with it. You do what you like to Hagar, you do what you like, you deal with it. You know, as the head of the home, he should have responded by taking the spiritual lead. He should have responded by rebuking Sarah for her sinful response, for her actions. And he said he just allowed Sarah to treat Hagar terribly, treat her however she wished, to the point that Hagar fled the home. And you see, this time around, Abraham doesn't just take Sarah's advice. Sarah comes and she's filled with bitterness and jealousy, and she says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. But Abraham doesn't just straight away take her advice. This time, he seeks the Lord. This time he faces the problem square on, he doesn't shy away from it, he faces it square on, and he waits upon the Lord for instruction. And of course God did not forsake him, did he? In Genesis 21 verse 12, we see the Lord's response, it says, "...and God said unto Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondwoman, in all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice." For in Isaac shall thy seed be called, and also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. In verse 12, we see the Lord now speaks unto Abraham. doesn't disappoint. He comes and he speaks to his servants. And he gives Abraham some instructions as to what he should do. And the Lord tells Abraham, basically, he says, Do as Sarah has asked. Put out the bondwoman and her son. Do as Sarah has asked you to do. And the Lord says to him not to be distressed, not to be concerned about Hagar and Ishmael. God says, I'll take care of them. And we need to understand something here. Even though Sarah had spoken out of bitterness and jealousy, what she said turned out to be in accordance with the will of God. Isn't that an amazing thing? She's speaking from bitterness and jealousy, but it turns out to be in accordance with God's will. You see, God knew that there really was no way these two could continue to, to live together. God knew there was no way these two families could continue to coexist. Not with all the bitterness, not with all the jealousy on both sides. It would only lead to more contention, more strife. Especially as Isaac and Ishmael grow up, get married, and have their own families, it's going to lead to more problems. You know, Isaac was the promised seed, not Ishmael. And so this separation was necessary. It was protecting Isaac, if you like, as the promised seed. Morris writes this, he says, God therefore instructed Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael away. Isaac was the son of promise, and he had never intended Ishmael to share in these promises in any way. And so Abraham's instructed to hearken unto Sarah's voice. It was in accordance with God's will. That does not excuse Sarah's response. That doesn't make Sarah's actions okay. You see, there's no evidence that when Sarah speaks here in chapter 21 that she's speaking because of some divine revelation. Okay, She's not speaking because God has revealed this to her and she's saying it in, in revelation from God to Abraham. Now, She says this out of jealousy and bitterness. And so just because it ends up being God uses it for his good does not make it right. This is a case of God using evil for good, isn't it? One commentator wrote this, It's not necessary to acquit Sarah of all personal vindictiveness or to consider her as acting from the best and highest motives merely because God commanded Abraham to hearken under her voice. This may be only another instance of evil overruled for good. Indeed, that's what's happened here. God overrules evil and he uses it for good. And so God would use the casting out of Hagar and Ishmael to protect Isaac, to protect the son of promise, his inheritance. You know, at the same time that God tells him to do this, God gave Abraham the assurance that he'd take care of Ishmael as well. We saw that in verse 13. It says, And also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. God gives Abraham a promise. He says, I'll still take care of Ishmael, and he will still end up being the father of a great nation because he's your seed. And in verse 14, we see Abraham now responds by obeying the word of the Lord. Look in verse 14, it says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder. And the child and sent her away and departed and wandered, sorry, she departed and wandered in the wilderness of 'er Beersheba. We see Abraham now, the next morning, he obeys. He sends Hagar and Ishmael away with bread and with a bottle of water. Now when we consider Abraham's vast wealth, this does seem a little uncaring, doesn't it? That all he gave her was a bottle of water and some bread for the journey ahead. It does seem to be a little uncaring. But we need to remember that God had promised, just promised, to Abraham that he would take care of them. And so Abraham here is trusting in the promise of God, isn't he? He's trusting God to take care of them. And we can also safely assume that Abraham here is giving them sufficient supplies to make it to the next settlement. Okay, he's given them enough water and bread to make it where they need to go, the next well or wherever it might be. And so it's only because they become lost in the desert that the supplies run out. But God keeps his promise to Abraham and he provides... Hagar and Ishmael there in the wilderness. Look in verse 14 again. It says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away, and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat, sat her down over against a good, against him, sorry, a good way off, as it were a bow shot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him, and lift up her voice, and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven, and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water, and gave the lad drink. God was with the lad and he grew and dwelled in the wilderness and became an archer. So we see the Lord here. He kept his promise, didn't he? Hagar and Ishmael, they wander in the wilderness. The supplies run out and Ishmael is near death. He's under a shrub protected from the hot sun, but he's near death. And God heard their cries. God sends his angel to comfort them. God opens her eyes to see this well of water. God kept them safe. God provided for them in their hour of need. And Ishmael, as it says in verse 20, he becomes an archer dwelling in the wilderness. And he eventually ends up marrying an Egyptian, verse 21. And he dwelled in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. And so he grows. He becomes this, this archer living in the wilderness. He gets married. He has a family of his own. According to chapter 25, he ends up with 12 sons. And those 12 sons become the foundation of the great nation that God promised under him. And we know this nation today as the Arab nation. It's the Arabs. And of course the conflict between the Jews and the Arabs is still a consequence of Abraham's sin in chapter 16, isn't it? The consequence of his sin is still going on. We see that conflict today. And it's all traced back to chapter 16 where Abraham sinned against the Lord. You know, the passage before us this morning, we see the truth of Galatians chapter six, don't we? Let's just go over there again. Galatians chapter six. Galatians six, let's read verse seven days. We started this morning. Galatians six, verse seven, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man of that shall he also reap. For he that soft to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corrupt corruption he that to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. You now we will reap what we've sown. That's the sad reality, and that's what this story this morning teaches us. We reap what we've sown. If we've sown to the flesh, then we will of the flesh reap corruption. You now sin leaves scars. Sin brings consequences into our lives, and sometimes those consequences are, are long down the road. They're not immediate. And That's why it's so important for us to sow to the spirit, isn't it? It says there in verse eight, sow to the spirits. So, but he that sow to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. We need to sow to the spirit. We've talked about this extensively, haven't we? With Abraham and Lot, and we talked about it in Romans chapter six as well. The fact that we need to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. Walk by faith, not by sight. Because when we walk by the, in the in the flesh, this is what happens, isn't it? We end up in sin and end up with these consequences coming into our lives. You know, the sad reality is that we all do sin. There are times when we all walk in the flesh. We're human. We cannot escape that fact. And we cannot escape the fact that consequences are attached to those sins as well. Beloved, when those consequences come, we must, like Abraham, respond with maturity. With spiritual maturity. Like Abraham, we need to look to the Lord and Respond by dealing with it as he leads. The commentator Getz summed it up well. He said this, If you are a human being, face the fact that because you are, you have no doubt done things that will create problems in the future. When those problems arise, remember Abraham. Consult God's word. Remember first that God forgives the past. Then face the problem head on. Change what you can. And then learn to live with what you cannot change. Now, that's the reality. Sin has consequences. Problems come. We have to face it head on with spiritual maturity and seek the Lord's wisdom as to how we're going to deal with it, how we're going to respond. We also need to ask for wisdom that we don't make those same mistakes going forward, that we learn to walk in the spirits and not in the flesh. Let's close and work. Dear Lord and Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I pray you help us all to realize, Lord, that when we walk in the flesh, we reap of the flesh. There is consequences that come, and sometimes they're immediate, sometimes they're down the track. But Lord, help us when those consequences come, those problems arise, help us to turn to you and seek your face and respond in the right manner, in the right way. And Lord, may you help us, Lord, to daily seek to walk in the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.